It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See BlackstoneMotors.ie You're very welcome to Late Lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Great to have your company with us on the show. Where's the rain? There's not a sign of it yet. We're all braced for it yesterday and today. Never came, thank God it didn't. I think it's going to get wet tomorrow and Thursday, though, however. And after that, looks decent enough. Your uh, bulletin weather forecast, the main one coming up at two o'clock on late lunch. Welcome to the show this afternoon. Lots of chat, music and more besides over the next couple of hours. And I've missed him. I haven't spoken to him for a couple of weeks, but he's back with us today. Immunologist, head of the Department of Biology and director of Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University, Professor Paul Miner. Good to say hello again. Yeah, you too, Jerry. Thanks very much for joining me. Just news uh, in this morning coming in: uh, twelve to fifteen-year-olds getting the go-ahead for the vaccination. It's open at the moment, and registration for older teens. Want to start by talking to you, and I know you're going to be on national television tonight about this: children and vaccinations. Paul, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it's it's, it's a nuanced one. It's a, I think it's a complex one. Um, I think. Obviously, if vaccines in children, if the benefits outweigh the risks, I think absolutely. And I think the vaccination program has been incredibly successful so far in our adult population. In terms of moving to our children, there are many reasons why we'd want to vaccinate uh, children. Most importantly, in terms of and this is the objective of all vaccinations, is to directly protect the person who's vaccinated. So children are at risk. Absolutely, they should be vaccinated. And secondly, another benefit we get from these vaccines is that tend to limit transmission of the virus as well. So first of all, in terms of directly protecting uh, children, our children are at risk. They are, but to a very small extent. So if there's one good thing from this pandemic, it's that children are quite mostly resistant to the virus in terms of Mm. developing severe COVID. So the risk is quite low. That's not to say some children do get uh, serious uh, effects, but generally it's quite low. And as a result, that benefit to risk ratio decreases. With, with younger age. Yes. On the other side then, in terms of risks, other risks associated with the vaccine, just to want to be a little bit concerned about is, it's now emerging that with the RNA vaccines, which are the vaccines that will be used in 12 to 15 year olds, the Pfizer and Moderna, there is a condition known as uh, myocarditis and pericarditis. Now that's inflammation of the heart muscle and the lining surrounding the heart muscle. And this can happen most fre- frequently in under 30 year olds and especially in young men. Um, so how frequent is it? Seen estimates range from maybe one in twenty thousand to one in 
100,000. Now, with that risk, and obviously it's important to say that people and young men who get COVID, they're also at risk of myocarditis as well. But it's just something that because of that risk there, and because of the trials, the trials that were done, and it's just been approved by the EMA for Moderna and previously for Pfizer, those trials were still quite small. So, for example, with the Pfizer, a 1,000 children were given the vaccine. With Moderna, 2,000. Now, if you've got a side effect of the frequency, and the EMA accept this in the recommendation, those trials weren't big enough to evaluate those risks. So the risk, is, is, I would still expect it to be quite small, but... I would like to see more data. And we're in a fortunate position in the sense that some countries have already rolled this out to children. They've already decided, like the US, for example. Mm. So my view, Jerry, would be personally is that have a look at that real-world data coming in over the coming weeks. And I don't think it would be a long time period before we get the data just to make sure that that incidence doesn't go up as we go into those 12 to 15-year-olds. Because certainly we know that the myocarditis is a feature and it's predominantly a feature of those under the age of 30 and men under the age of 30. So we just want to make sure. So that, that's the cautionary note I would serve, Jerry. And then secondly, so why are we, why are we using the vaccines in 12 to 15 year olds? Absolutely to protect the, the children. It could also suppress transmission of the virus. But again, I don't think it's the responsibility of children. If that's the sole reason why we're using it to suppress transmission of the virus, I don't think necessarily the responsibility should land on children to protect adult populations, some of whom have decided not to take the vaccine. So I think there's an ethical issue there. And then finally is, you know, children are quite resistant to the virus. So we're moving now towards a situation where we're going to be using vaccines in children that are relatively resistant. But there's many parts of the world, many countries of low income where there's little or no vaccines available and there's vulnerable populations, older people there that we know if they get infected by the virus, they're going to die. So there's a number of ethical considerations there as well, Jerry. So I don't think it's a clear cut to say, okay, this idea of vaccinate all the children, we get to herd immunity, and it's as simple as that. I think it's more nuanced, but certainly I know that the sense I get now from some of the reports that NIAC have recommended this and the cabinet is likely to accept it. Mm. Interesting points you make, Paul. Just on the RNA, what about the other type of vaccines? Do they cause the same issue with the heart? Uh, so, so far, 12 to 15 year olds, it's only been assessed with the Pfizer and the Moderna. And actually, Pfizer and Moderna are already beginning to, to assess, you know, the efficacy of the vaccine, I think, in two year olds up and toddlers up to 12 year olds. So what seems to happen is it's not the case, again, that the vaccine is going to the heart or whatever. When you get these vaccines, and again, children tend to be more what can be described as reactogenic. So those typical side effects that adults would get, for example, you know, pain at the site of injection, a little bit of fatigue, headaches, they're probably a little bit more severe than children. And that's probably what, and we've seen that already uh, in these trials. But what happens as well, the trigger inflammation, usually that inflammation is local. So it's just localised to the site of infection. Mm. But obviously in some cases, this inflammation is more systemic and we end up with inflammation in the heart. Now, the good thing is that so far, most of those, not all of those cases, but most of those cases are mild and are self-resolving, but some are chronic. But even with myocarditis, when you hear inflammation of the heart, if the, if the frequency is low, numbers are okay and statistics are okay, but that turns out to be your 12-year-old son. You know, it's, it's very difficult to... to so, so, you know, I think there are considerations here. I think in the, in the long run, Jerry, I think it will work out fine, but I think 
this is one occasion I've been critical previously of some of the decisions that have been made, including decisions from NIAC, where I think the precautionary principle has been misapplied. They've used this abundance of a caution under circumstances where, in my mind, the benefit-to-risk ratio is much greater than the benefit-to-risk ratio for children. And the use precautionary principle in that case, whereas in this case, when, in my view, there's probably more of a need to use it because the bar has to be high for children. That's why, after all, for the initial trials, we used adults. Like we, adults were included, not children. So I think it will turn out all right, but I think this is probably one of the occasions where precautionary principle okay. should be used. Tread cautiously, take more time, don't rush into this, give us time to see what happens elsewhere and you make a great point, there are more vulnerable people in other parts of the world that need vaccinations urgently. In the UK, interestingly, just to look over there, because in a way they're ahead of us, they had their opening up day, Uh, society is certainly more open uh, than here, we're treading with caution even though hospitality reopened yesterday, but an amazing statistic their uh, case numbers are falling and falling substantially for the sixth day in a row. Now, it may be because people are not being tested as frequently or going for testing. We have to say that anyway. But they're looking at this and thinking, what's happening here? And I just saw an eminent professor like yourself saying today that he believes come September, October, uh, the worst of this will be behind. Yeah, I probably tend to agree with that, Jerry. Like, I've, I, I know Netflix, for example, about these uh, models, you know, some of them very pessimistic and this sense of, you know, 700,000 cases by September and things like that, I, I don't think the pessimistic is going to be realised. I certainly don't. And even in the UK, those pessimistic projections don't seem to be uh, panning out now. So, again, that, that curve is, has now bent over and it's now decreasing. We don't know for sure why. But, again, prevalence studies have shown in the adult population, if you look at the percentage of people with antibodies either from vaccines or from infections, you're looking at the adult population over the UK, maybe 90, 95% of them are having antibodies. So at that stage, you know, with immunity, you're looking at really good protective effects. Uh, so I think you're getting to the stage, and I think inevitably what will happen is we will eventually get to the stage, probably over the coming months and year, where everybody will end up either vaccinated or being infected by the virus. And I'm not sure if we're going to get there in time to vaccinate everybody to achieve that herd immunity. To get the herd immunity based on the virus and how effective vaccines are, you probably need about 90, 95% of the entire population. So I think we're moving towards the situation. So I would sort of tend to agree with that. I think we're coming close to the end of what I described as the pandemic phase of the pandemic. That's not to say the virus is going to disappear. I think it's going to move into this, what we call endemic phase, where it's still there in the background. And I think, as I said before, you're going to have outbreaks and probably outbreaks in the winter time. But most of us are going to be protected. And even mm. if, we may, if we're exposed to the virus, get infected by the virus, I think because of our vaccination or if we've been previously infected by the virus, it's going to protect us from getting very uh, seriously ill. Now, uh, talking about the end of the pandemic, uh, it's an interesting question. I don't want to throw you a curveball, but if you can answer this so well and good, Brenda's been on to say, would you ask Paul, please, Jerry, how did the Spanish flu at the start of the 20th century that wiped out millions come to an end? So, so that, that's the characteristic, typical characteristic of all pandemics, the come and go. Uh, with the Spanish flu, again, the, 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 the toll was, was really very, very extreme. We didn't have a vaccine. So in that case, we get to a situation where we get this this equilibrium where like, we get to where a percentage of the population is infected. 
So then when the virus is circulating, if somebody is infected, they frequently encounter somebody who's already been infected and so protected. So in that way, then that all value, if you remember last year, we were talking about this all value all of the time, which yes. is in an unprotected population, naive population, if I'm infected, and many people on average, will I infect? So for the virus last year, it was about three. For this one now, probably it's around six, maybe seven, possibly up as far as eight. But that value decreases as we vaccinate the population. That all value decreases because if you on average would, would infect three people that you come in contact with, well, if two of those three people are now vaccinated, that gives you more, so the all value goes down. So we end up with a situation where the all value, when the all value drops below one, that then means the circulation of the virus will decrease, the transmission will decrease, and it's come down to this endemic level. So that's really how it, it's, it's this balance between the virus replicating, but then more the population becoming resistant and protected from the virus. Sadly, in those times with the absence of the vaccine, there was a very high mortality rate, whereas in this case, because of science, because of the development of vaccines, has given us enormous protection. So we're now at a situation where, like most of our adult population is vaccinated, to get to that level with natural immunity would have caused a really, really severe toll yeah. in terms of serious illness and death. So the vaccines are sort of get us to that herd immunity quicker and with a much less toll in terms of mortality and sickness. Yeah, the the millions that lost their lives were incredible at that at that time, as you say, without a vaccine, and it happened in a natural fashion. Just before we finish today, Dr. Fauci in the States, backed up by President Biden, uh, to quote them, say, now, the pandemic is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. What do you say to that? Yeah, so that's true. So so basically what they're referring to there is that if you look at the people who are susceptible, who are vulnerable to the virus, they are the unvaccinated populations. And we tend to think of here, obviously, we tend to think in a very parochial way in terms of our own country. So at the moment, most of the adult population is vaccinated. Um, but obviously, you know, children remain unvaccinated. There are some people the vaccine won't work in. But in other parts of the world, especially low-income countries, the availability of vaccines is only like maybe a single-digit percentage, whereas we're talking about 60, 70, 80%. Those populations are still vulnerable. That is where the pandemic is now so when I say we've come to the we're clo- coming close to the end of the pandemic phase of the pandemic, that's the pandemic phase of the pandemic for certain countries and continents like Europe, for example. Mm. But in other countries where the vaccine availability is very low, the pandemic will continue to wreak havoc in terms of illness and sickness because those those are unvaccinated, they're susceptible, they're vulnerable to the virus, and this virus transmits so well that you're going to get really high levels of infection. And unfortunately, if unprotected, because the vaccine hasn't been available, you're going to see that translating into serious illness. Mm. Indeed, Paul. Paul will be appearing on Primetime on RTE tonight, uh, talking about children and vaccinations. Uh, Look out for him then this evening. But for the moment, and as usual, Paul, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Very welcome, Jerry. That's uh, Professor Paul Minor, one of our own from uh, County Louth, immunologist and head of the Department of Biology, director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. You may recall yesterday I mentioned Veronica McCardle from Dundalk, who's had to uh, postpone her holiday, cost her quite a lot of money on a couple of occasions. She can't get her COVID cert. We put a request in on her behalf to the department and got uh, what I would say is a terse reply. It was simply awful. But we've got a second reply subsequently, thanks to our Louise. But 
Veronica's with me on the line. Hello, Veronica. Hello, how are you? I'm good. First of all, tell me, when were you vaccinated? Um, I was vaccinated on the 22nd of March. That was my first one, and the second one four weeks later, which is five months ago now. And um, I, I didn't think anything more of it. I just uh, carried on, you know, waiting mm. for my thing. And I was decided I'd go to see to visit my daughter in America. And uh, we booked the flight, and I rang the doctors. The doctor said, the girl in the reception said, Toby, don't worry, your set will be with you this week. They're all coming out this week, which is two weeks ago. Mm. And a week passed, nothing happened. And then I started to get worried. I went back to the doctors. They gave me numbers. I rang the numbers. The numbers gave me another number, gave me two options. And I got on the phone at a quarter to 12 on the Tuesday, last Tuesday, and I stayed on the phone until a quarter past five and nobody answered. Five hours? Was, five hours? Yes. And I got, my sister took over then because she said, don't get yourself into a state. So she did the same the next day. No answer. And so it went on. And a few other friends of mine did it for me as well, ringing. And then uh, they, they said they, uh, my, my sister got on to her TD, her local TD, Heather Humphreys. I got on to Peter Fitzpatrick. And another TD, I just can't remember his name right now because somebody mm. told me about him. And they all said that they had no email address for this. You're just a number like everything else you're ringing. I rang again this morning, quarter to nine till a quarter to twelve. And not no different, only telling you your call is important. Oh. You can request your cert, but they don't tell you how you can request yes. it. How are you supposed to get it? You know? It's it's look at we've been listening to it too. Your call is important to us. That's I'd it. have to say, please, yes. please, if the call and is American important, American accent as well. Yes, and and if the call is important, in the name of God, five hours, friends ringing, right. three hours yeah. again today. Yeah. What yeah. is going on here? Let me just read what they've said to our Louise. Can I read? It's only short here anyway. Yes. This is what they've okay. come back to us, and we've been. This is twice now we've been on on your behalf. They say you. we endeavour to constantly improve the service for digital COVID certificates. The interaction voice response has been amended to provide more information which is what you want and signpost callers to other routes it's not happening I want to tell them in addition no. the recovery certificate portal was introduced late last week and has handled more than five and a half thousand requests since Friday we are working to continuously improve the service offered to members of the public and as with the recovery certificate portal we are examining the introduction of additional self-service and automation in the coming weeks up to yesterday we understand this over 2.4 million digital COVID certificates were issued. But we only want one, folks, for Veronica McArdle, <laughs> not the 2.4 million. We know you've done that. But in the name of God, like, it, it, it's a dead end, isn't it? It is a dead yes. end when you ring. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm absolutely exhausted. I, I'm not fit to think I'm because I'm so tired and yes. frustrated from, from just trying to get... Somebody to answer. I have rang other places as well. I have rang and everything is an answer machine. Everything is a message. Press one for this, press two for that, press... You know, it's no, no more information. It's just terrible. Yeah, it is... The, the the pits I have to say when yeah, I hear I what's happening... No, I just... I'm going to have to just cancel this completely now. Oh, I no. I, I'm going to have to because I can't... I can't... I can't let it go on. I can't lose everything now, you know? Yeah. It's, it's dreadful. I, I'm I'm really at the end of my tether, so I don't know. Mm. And and were you okay with getting into the states? Do you mind me asking? You know the way it's. Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You were <coughs> you were okay there, and you haven't seen your daughter in a while, have yeah. you? Two years. Yes. <gasps> 
Oh, so like you really do want mm. to, to make this yeah. journey. You're fully vaccinated. You'll apply with all the regulations. Yeah. You just I, want I, that yeah. little piece of paper or something that they can scan to say, Veronica, you're in the clear. Yeah. I understand yeah. what you're saying. Well, but, I mean, even if I wasn't going anywhere tomorrow, I mean, they're telling me if I wanted to go into downtown to have lunch, I have to have my my, my yes. electronic passport. I don't have it even if I wanted to go out. And believe me, when this COVID started, I really did everything yeah. by the book. I didn't, mm-hmm. do, you know, we stayed at home as all of all of us and anybody that I know. You know, we did everything right. Yeah. And now when, I, when it's come to the crunch that I can go out, I'm not allowed to go out anyway because I haven't got anything to go on. Oh, Veronica, this is shocking. <laughs> and, and, you know, you make such a valid point there. You mm-hmm. can't go for a bite to eat. You can't. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, all of this time, you know, that you, you're, you, you do everything you're told and you think I better be careful and do everything. And then when it comes to it, you, you actually can't go out anywhere because you don't have the... Mm. And, you know, I'm going to tell you this because we got more messages here yesterday and I wasn't able to read them all, but I read some of them from people in the same boat as yourself, uh, oh, that okay. they were vaccinated way back and they still haven't got the cert. And yet you have other people who were vaccinated for the second time last week and got the mm-hmm. cert within 48 hours. That's right. I absolutely know loads of people who rang me and said, I got mine this morning. I only got mine done on Tuesday, my second one. You know, everybody has it. And it's not, they were trying to tell me, somebody said, say, oh, they're going alphabetical. My son has his. Mm. He is his. My husband has his. Everybody has them. You know, I, I just don't have mine. Mm. And, and tell us just one other point. Where were you vaccinated? Where was a GP? I was or? vaccinated in my own GP. In yes. the GPs. And you see, yes. so was I, Veronica. And yeah. uh, I didn't pay much attention to either, but it just came automatically to my phone. And then I got a little cert in the post as well. So, yes. you know, well, I didn't have to do anything, to be honest yeah. with you. Uh, to well, make I, I didn't give an email. They didn't ask me for an email yes. address in the, in the yeah, doctors. But you should get the follow up. I got the one in the post. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got the yeah, like I yeah. just have both, but you should have got it in the post as well. But this no, well, and I got somebody because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too familiar now with emailing and stuff yes. like that. I got somebody to check my emails and junk mails and all every spam mails and nothing. I have nothing in it. Nothing there. And listen, I take it you've been back to your GP to start. I at have, the, yes. Yeah, they can't do anything for you either. The, there. The only thing that she, that the, the doctor told me she would do is she would write a letter to that effect that I, that I got it and that I, you know, all the details in it. But I don't think that's I don't think that's possible to use. Mm. You know what I mean, I think mm. it has to be your cert, and that's it. Yes. Can anybody in late lunch LMFM land listening today help this lovely woman in Dundalk <laughs> this afternoon? She can't even go downtown Dundalk to have a bite or a coffee. To, come on, folks, let's somebody help us. I'm making a plea on our behalf today for help. Help, please. We want to sort out Veronica McArdle. Please help us. Please help this woman today. Look at we've got this response. We'll try again on your behalf so we will I know this is a pretty general response but we will try again for you and I hope and wish that you get this heard sooner rather than later Veronica so so much not at all thank you for joining me on the show take care Veronica bye bye now bye bye isn't that shocking folks anybody else in the same boat or can help us at all 086 1800 658 our Louise is trying her best I promise you WhatsApp or text me to this thank you indeed for all your comments to 086 1800 658 by what app or text. Here's a flavour for what you're saying today in late lunch land. The problem with Astrid clots 
the problem with Astra, Jerry, is clots in young people. That's why no country is giving Astra to the under 30s. Uh, so that wouldn't be a viable alternative for children, I'd have thought. I suggested that to Professor Paul Miner early on. Thank you indeed for that. Another one, the UK had extremely high numbers tying in with Silverstone, the Euros and Wimbledon. So it's not really a drop, in my opinion. They'll be well up again when their Freedom Day of last week really kicks in, Jerry, Thanks for that. And um, We were talking, of course, to Veronica McCardle. Poor Veronica. Has her vaccination since mask since March and can't uh, get the uh, certificate that she needs and she's worn out ringing the department. Uh, A comment from a listener saying, I thought there was no travel to the USA, Jerry, only for essential people and US nationals. I mentioned that to Veronica as well, but she seems to have that sorted. Mags has been on to say, I was also jabbed in the docks in my doctors in April. My husband, son and daughter have their certificates I don't. I'm in limbo like Veronica and I'm worn out myself ringing with no joy says Mags this afternoon. So it's not just peculiar to Veronica McArdle. We're on to it again and we're seeing what we can do. It's a shocking case it really is. Uh, waiting all this time to get the certificate. Now the weather there promising if you were listening a few showers and more showers towards evening. Oh I know one crowd that are delighted because it's normally too wet, too cold too dry, too warm. Should the farmers are never happy, Dara McCullough. You got it in one, Jerry. <laughs> We're busy doing a rain dance here uh, today because it still hasn't hit. You know, all that yep. rain has been in the forecast and I'm looking at the phone every 10 minutes wondering when, when is it going to hit? Because, of course, the grass, I'm sure people are looking out at their lawns, mm. they're burnt up if they're not out there watering them. And, of course, we're trying to, we're looking for the same stuff for the cows um, and uh, having to open up silage bales and pits and introduce extra feed because the show has to go on, even if if nature and climate change and all the rest of it is changing how nature actually works, we still need to keep the food flowing. Absolutely. And I'm just thinking here, you and I, we speak regular, and I remember in the spring of the year, we were talking about, do you remember all the rain we had and the unseasonal cold? It's just amazing how it can switch from one to the other. But this is, is this the indication, Darren, that it's here? It's not a a, a thing in the future. This is the way we're going to have to face into the future, and you farmers will as well. Yeah, and, uh, you know, very often farmers are uh, taking a fair bit of flack for their impact on the environment. And it's true. I mean, there's a lot of emissions come from agriculture that are directly linked to global warming. But the other reality is that it's farmers who are on the front line who feel it in their pockets first when climate starts to act up. I mean, look at the the unlucky farmer out there in Denor last week who had a 300,000 euro combine, three days old, went up in smoke in his field, literally went on fire. Now, okay, a mechanical fault or whatever, but because it was so, so hot last week, um, you know, grain farmers were terrified that the machines were going to go on fire. Mm. So, you know, we're, we're farming in more extreme conditions, whether it's extreme heat or extreme wet. Um, it could be extreme storms. And, and farming by its nature is exposed to the elements. Uh, we're dependent on the elements for what we can harvest and what we can, what we can grow. So it's farmers who feel it first.
Mm, but like the good wine vintage, 2021 will be remembered for the most beautiful hay and harvest. Yeah, it's and uh, you know, uh, fingers crossed, but the crops are looking really good. Yep. They're coming in and super nick if your combine doesn't go up on fire. Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, the scene is set. And, and guess what? Prices are pretty good as well. And mm. this is, it, it is fascinating in a way. You know, um, there's one particular uh, crop out there that people will be familiar with, those blaze of yellow in May from the oilseed rape crops. And oilseed rape prices, Jerry, are at almost record highs. And the reason is, it's very interesting, uh, neonicotinoids is what was used to dress oilseed rape seed until very recently when it was banned in the EU. And the ban has hit areas like east of England, where which was the real uh, oilseed rape growing heartland. And so there's been a huge decline in production. The Irish lads happen to be in a slightly more... I suppose temperate climate in in comparison, so they're able to continue growing oilseed rape without these insecticides on the dressings and not suffer crop damage from the beetle that the insecticides were trying to target. And as a result, what they can produce from their crops is worth a solid fortune. So mm-hmm. it's funny how the whole environmental agenda and climate change and all of that is really starting to bite into the bottom line. Sometimes in a positive and sometimes in a negative. You know, before we move on, one thing I do want to say to you, and I mentioned it yesterday, I cannot understand in this little country that, you know, I don't have to tell you for nine, ten months of the year on average has plenty of moisture, loads of rain, we have any amount of lakes, rivers, we're surrounded by water. Dara, we've got to get much better. We've got to be world class at storage of water for these times. Yeah, um, and like it's always maddening slash shocking to hear the, the leakage, the wastage yes. of our national water system. And I, for one, was somebody who was in favour of water taxes. Now, it's a bit rich coming from me because, of course, I have a well and so, therefore, I don't have to pay water rates. But anyone who owns a, a well will tell you that they're already paying for their water in terms of maintenance and upkeep. But, like, you know, I can't um, maintain my well without investing it. And I don't know how the Irish state is realistically supposed to turn the sinking ship, if you'll allow me, uh, forgive me the pun, the sinking ship of the water infrastructure we have in this country. How is that going to be fixed if we don't pump extra funding into it? Like, it's up to 70% of the water that is pumped into the network leaks out of Lost. it before it ever gets out the other yes. end of a tap. Lost. And, you know, we won't go down that debate on water rates or anything. We'll leave that for a, a political <laughs> context and we'll move on. Listen, I have to, uh, I, I have to ask you this. Um, the Clarkson Farm Programme on television. Now, I want to put my hands up in the air and say this here. I haven't watched it. But yeah. my son and daughter and all their friends, the younger folk, just thought this was magical. What did you make of it? I absolutely loved it. Now, I have to say, uh, Jerry, uh, I was forced to watch it on my own because my wife said, there is no way, come hell or high water, that I am sitting down watching that so-and-so pontificate about farming. So J- Jeremy Clarkson is Marmite, yeah? Yep. I mean, there's a whole uh, swathe of people out there who are dedicated Clarkson fans, and there's another whole swathe who will not look out the window at him. Yes. I happen to be one of those agnostic types, you know, could take it or leave him. Um, and, of course, I had a vested interest in, in watching the programme, 
uh, being somebody who's nearly 20 years of trying to make TV about farming. And I was so envious, Jerry. I mean, it was great telly, right? Uh, yes. Let's uh, let's state that from the off. I mean, it was real laugh out loud moments. I mean, to see Jeremy Clarkson, you know, Jeremy Clarkson, I didn't realise this, but he actually earns, reportedly earns about 50 million euros a year uh, from all his gigs and the merchandise and top gear and all the rest. So, like, the... the Guy is enormously wealthy. He bought a farm about over a decade ago, a thousand acres, as you do when you've got a couple of million to yes. somewhere. And uh, he had left it to a local farmer contractor to look after. The farmer decided to retire. And rather than hand the gig over to somebody else, Jeremy came up with this light bulb moment of, oh, well, why don't I have a go at farming? And because I'd be so hopeless at it, it'll make great TV. And he was spot on. And what is, uh, it, to be fair, the, if the programme had totally relied on Jeremy Clarkson to carry it, I think it would have been a dead duck. But the genius of it, of the programme makers, is the casting. There's a wonderful cast of two Irish people in there. Jeremy Clarkson's um, current squeeze, Lisa Hogan, yeah. um, is from Dublin. And she is a font of practicality and um, a little bit of reality, a dose of reality for Jerry, uh, for Jeremy every now and again when he comes in with another one of his harebrained ideas. Because, of course, you can imagine, like, uh, he's a millionaire, uh, money's no object, so why don't we grow wasabi or grapes or sweet corn or put trout in the pond or, you know, yeah. uh, one day he got up and said, why are we um, topping these uh, meadows all around here, all the, this grass, when we could have sheep in to eat it? And then, of course, a year later, he discovered that uh, he actually lost money on the sheep. So much to the delight of the farmer, like me watching, has gone, there you go, told you, you know, we've been telling this for years, there's no <laughs> money in it, but you had to go and find it and figure it out for yourself. Yeah, but so, overall, you know, entertainment, no end of the money. I'm sure ear to the ground, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, going into its 29th series, would love a few extra cameras and resources oh, like Jeremy man. has. Yeah, I mean, and that's what's so great about it. I mean, I should mention, Jerry, I don't have an Amazon Prime account. I mean, maybe I should, shouldn't be admitting that publicly. So I did what I think half the rest of the nation is doing, which is, you know, scab the login <laughs> and the, the password from your relative. Here's your, your buddy, whatever, here's yeah. your buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was good enough for me. But, um, yeah, the, the production values were absolutely stunning. Like, they had these, you know bucolic images of the countryside with the sun rising and setting. And, and the TV crew obviously camped out there 24-7 because whether it was the middle of the night or the middle of the day, they had footage of, of the action as it happened. And the wonderful thing about it that, you know, a lot of farmers would say to me, oh, Dara, you know, ear to the ground, it's great, we love it and all the rest of it, but you never show real farming, you know, the real kind of trials and tribulations. And of course, you can't capture the trials and tribulations of farming unless you have cameras literally there all day, all night, every day because you can't plan for this kind of stuff. But in Clarkson's farm, they do 
And, you know, I, I have to admit to chuckling out loud when you see Jeremy, the frustration of him trying to even just hitch on an implement onto the tractor because, of course, he's up and down out of the tractor and banging his knees off the steps and the handles and he can't get in between the machine and the tractor without half nearly killing himself. And every farmer has been there, done that war on the T-shirt, yeah? The other time that he gets a bang off the electric fence <laughs> as he's fluting around with it trying to fix it. And uh, it's, it's slightly sadistic you know to be yes. and so loud, but it's, it's slapstick as well it's oh, classic yeah, yeah. and that's what's um, uh, just a, a sample of the laugh out loud moments in it well there you are uh, pick up on it you can look back and judge it for yourself 29th series I mentioned a moment ago of Ear to the Ground and may I say this as a great tribute to you all it's as fresh as ever each new series that comes back how do you do that Ah, uh, look, I mean, you're very kind, Jerry. I, I would say that, uh, you know, it's the people... The, the Ears to Ground is almost the polar opposite of Clarkson's Farm in that it's not about the presenters at all, yeah? It's it's actually the presenters kind of melt into the background. And really what we're doing is showing... Uh, ordinary people doing extraordinary things and like you know I'm teeing up um, a shoot to go down to guys who are growing three young fellas up there in Rush in North County Dublin only up the road from Jerry who have uh, taken on a cucumber farm and the wonderful technology that they're now using, you know, they're because insecticides are becoming so limited and because they're, you know, nobody wants to know about insecticide anywhere near their food. Instead, they're switching over to using uh, bugs that will eat the problem bugs. So, you know, aphids are a problem in glass houses. So then they use these what are called parasitic wasps, which are, are fascinating. Sorry for rambling on here, Jerry, but this is my, my uh, current kind of fascination is they, they lay their larvae inside in the aphid and the larva grows. The aphid obviously doesn't know what's going on and then it has an alien's moment. The little parasitic wasp bursts out of the aphid. The aphid is obviously finished and the parasitic wasp um, goes on and uh, you know basically clears out all the rest of the aphids. Amazing. And you might be thinking, hang on a second, uh, we just replaced one problem with another problem, but the parasitic wasp, they're so small, we don't normally notice them, but they're actually indigenous to the country. So a wonderful example of using nature's natural predators yes. to control problems that up to now we've been using chemicals and poison to do. Mm, fantastic. Just one aspect of, you know, the way things move forward and a new uh, aspect of uh, horticulture, agriculture in this country. When is it back on our screens? Back on our screens. A couple of months, yes, yeah. uh, Jerry. It'll be the end of October, okay. early yes. November. Right. Um, so, um, and invariably, I love doing a bit of filming at this time of the year yeah. because it's gorgeous <laughs> and it's the time of the year to be filming on farms. But unfortunately, I still have to wheel myself out onto the side of a mountain and meet from or everywhere else in the howl and wind of oh, November, wonderful. December and January. But sure, look at how bad, you know. How bad is it? And the flowers still in a way, yes? Still rocking and rolling with the flowers, uh, Jerry. And we're just—I was down there in the yard this morning cleaning up. We've just finished lifting daffodil bulbs. We're packing them, and uh, they'll be available over the next uh, week or two. Right. And we're harvesting sunflower and lily and dahlias and all kinds of loveliness yeah. there uh, available up the road from you, at, direct from the farmer and local farmers markets, even in Trim and uh, in Dublin and beyond. Lovely, lovely. And last word, just a word, we have to go. Turkeys this year? Uh, turkeys will be available again this year. Now, I, I'd have to modify the system because, of course, we had yes. Pine Martin slaughtering them and all the rest yeah, of it. So, yeah. 
Uh, we're just we've made a few tweaks, but we will have turkeys, Jay. We will. We'll be expecting you knocking on the door. I'll be there. Put me name on two. Good to talk to you, Dara. Take care of yourself. Thanks, Jerry. Good God luck, bless good you. Bye bye, Dara McCullough. There, Ireland's most famous farmer. Listen to this. It just sums up the mess with the COVID certificates. Message from a listener in. Uh, we were talking to Veronica McCardle, who's been hanging hours on the phone looking for a cert. Jerry, tell that woman she can have one of mine. I got two one week apart. What a joke. There's somebody who got two certs and somebody who's just looking for the one can't get it. It just sums the whole thing up, doesn't it? Um, yesterday we were speaking about the problem with the toilets in Bettystown area. Thanks to Ailey Shaw from Mead County Council. She's fantastic. Always comes back to us with a full answer. I have to give credit to Mead County Council there. Uh, and Ailey says, we have permanent toilets in Leytown and Bettystown, which are augmented by the provision of portable toilets in Bettystown for the summer months. The permanent toilets are cleaned daily and monitored at least once during the day and refilled as necessary. The portable toilets are serviced twice weekly by the supplier. That may be the issue there. You know, is twice weekly enough? You have to ask that question. But Ailish, thank you indeed for coming back to us and that lady on to us about the state of the toilets in Bellys. And I'd be interested if it was the portaloos she was talking about. If you're listening to us, maybe you'd come back to me on that one, please. And just to remind you, Drogheda District Chamber are holding a webinar entitled Learn More About Tabit Tap it. Tomorrow, July 28th at one thirty. Robert Murray's in conversation with the founders, uh, Gavin Duffy and uh, Garrett Gunn. And uh, you can find out tomorrow why your, big, your business should register for Tap It. For more information to register, contact Brenda at drawhattachamber.ie or visit drawhattachamber.ie for more details. You heard it here first. It's now number one in the iTunes singer-songwriter charts and the young lady who wrote it and performed it joins me on the line for a quick word. Ruby Moss, hello again. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, not at all. I'm thrilled for you. Thank you. (laughs) Was it a big day, I believe, a little birdie tells me yesterday, a big day for you? Yeah, it was my 14th birthday. Happy birthday, Ruby. What a birthday present to go number one in the charts. Thank you. Yes, it really was. Ah, it was fantastic. And again, just reminding everybody, you wrote, composed this yourself, the lyrics, the whole lot. It's all your lovely work. Yeah, thank you for being the first to play my song. Not at all. It was an absolute pleasure. And sure, we don't, we love the mosses, don't we, from Trim and County Meath. There's Mammy beside you there, no? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Hi, Louisa, you're there beside her. I wasn't sure. You must be so proud. Well, we're so proud of her. We're so excited and so lovely for her on her birthday as well. When you know, like it's been a really tough year and a half for everyone, and Ruby was sort of, you know, we couldn't go anywhere this summer really, and um, mm. it's just so lovely for her to have this happen on her birthday. And yes, we, we, we really didn't. We weren't expecting it at all. So ah. Well, I can Thank tell you, you not important. at all. You're so welcome. I can tell you we were because we got lots of reaction when we played it first. And I was, uh, I've been out subsequently afterwards and people have stopped me and said, who was that yo- young uh, lady, that lovely young lady who sang on your show? And I had to tell them who it was. So you went on from here, had it professionally produced and, and released. Yes. No, that's the, that's actually the same track that you played. Is it? That's been picked up, yeah. The very same, same that's been picked up. And what are the plans, Ruby? What's your plans beyond this now? Is there an album on the horizon? What are you going to do from here? Well, I've recently recorded three more songs in the studio. Yeah. About a week ago. 
So I'm going to release those in the autumn. Lovely. And I've also co-produced them. It's fun. Great, great. And remind me again, who was the gentleman on the piano with you? Mark Cattle. Ah, Mike, well done, well done to him too because he really, you know, uh, embellishes you and your voice and everything with it and together you've produced something really special. Well, there you are, you can't go any higher. Imagine that, 14 years of age, number one in the iTunes. Ah, I'm delighted for you, everybody over the moon for you and we're going to hear it again now. Look, thanks for taking our call on the hop. I know we uh, rang you at short notice but it's lovely to talk to you to wish you well. Good luck to you, Ruby. Thank you, bye. Thanks, Louisa. Here it is. Let's hear it again. It's the lovely Ruby Moss. No one wants to wait for me Wants to hang around So I'm on my beautiful isn't it Ruby Moss there Ruby's song accompanied by her own Mark Cahill on piano there absolutely beautiful just listening to the lyrics there follow your dreams and if that's a message that uh, you should carry with you all of your life follow your dreams whatever your dreams are follow them do your best to attain them and in the journey whether you get there or not you'll enjoy the journey for sure she's a bright young girl four new tracks putting down come autumn for her first EP or album, whatever she releases, but she has a bright future ahead of her with the most beautiful, beautiful voice. Number one in the iTunes, first play here, 
on Late Lunch on LMFM Radio a few weeks back. We're delighted for her. Up next on the show, Anne Frehl. She's a writer from County Meath and she's brought out not one, but two new historical novels based in County Meath and she's with me next. If you're a country music fan or more particularly a Mike Denver fan, well, the long wait is over to see him live as he's appearing at the St. Nicholas GA grounds on the Ratmullen Road in Drogheda this Friday, the 30th of July, with guest appearances by Matt Levy, Ray Lynham and Emer Furlong. Gates open at 7 o'clock and you can get your ticket by logging on to lmfm.ie or eventbrite forward slash Mike Denver. Don't miss this chance to enjoy a night out with your family and friends in the company of a country music star, Mike Denver. And remember, capacity is limited, so if you fancy a ticket or going along, you better book your car in soon. I have a ticket for one car to give away to that concert today on the show. Would you like to go along to see Mike and friends this Friday in the Knicks from 7 o'clock? The gates open. I have a car ticket for you. Here's the question. Which Irish county was Mike Denver born in? He hails from that county. What county does Mike Denver come from? He was born there. Answers, please, to 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me with the answer, your name and details, and we'll uh, give somebody a ticket for that concert before the end of the show today. Now, my next guest has had many short stories and non-fiction published over the years in a range of magazines, journals and publications. She's also contributed to a programme I love, Sunday Miscellany on RTE Radio 1. She's a big interest in history, folklore, sociology and nature. And she's just published recently not one but two historical fiction novels based in the Royal County, County Meath. I'm delighted to say hello on the show today to Anne Frehill. Hello, Anne. Hello, Jerry. Good afternoon. And I'm delighted that you invited me onto your show. Thank you. Not at all. You're very welcome. Well, you know, normally I talk to people who release one book, but you've done it on the double here. Uh, tell me this, both of them, When Silence Hurts and Reapers of Justice, I take it they were in the making for a while. Well, yes and no, Jerry. In 2019, uh, obviously I was getting on with my life pre-COVID, but I was writing as well, and that's when I wrote Reapers of Justice, and I finished it in December 2019. And I decided, right, I won't rush to a publisher with this. I'll sit on it. And then round the corner, little did I know, came COVID-19. So during all those lockdowns, I wrote the second novel, When Silence Hurts. And they're totally different, as you know. They're totally, but totally different topics. But of course, they're both historical. Reapers of Justice is set in 1919, during the War of Independence. And When Silence Hurts is set in the late 1950s, during that time of stagnation in Ireland and uh, it looks at what we would call a golden couple who appear to have it all but in reality uh, in, their marriage is a living hell and the husband I'm afraid is an abusive character. Now going back to Reapers of Justice which was the first one in 2019 Sarah Murphy, young school mistress is married to Sean uh, a charming man but an elite member of the IRA so their lives are quite contrasting one an upstanding school teacher the other not known to many you know working behind the scenes to end British rule in Ireland uh, where did that thought where did that whole thing come from is it based on any uh, reality or something you, you know from your life or is it entirely fictional. Well, Jerry, I wanted to look in Reapers of Justice at the place of women in society. 
in the early 20th century. Mm. And if you look at the famous picture outside um, Moore Street when Porrick Pierce and uh, that great nurse uh, Elizabeth O'Farrell surrendered to the forces of the British Crown, uh, the, you will see that uh, she's airbrushed, literally her photograph was airbrushed out of history, Elizabeth O'Farrell. And I thought of that and I said, that must have happened right through the 16 Rising, the War of Independence and indeed the Civil War. So I moved on then and I said, my protagonist in Reapers of Justice will be uh, posing as this uh, really uh, you could say, uh, innocent schoolmistress. But of course, she is married to uh, the leader, one of the leaders of the IRA. And uh, they live, she lives in a fictional village in Mead, which I call Somerset. And she's passing on all this information to her husband, who's on the run for the murder of RIC officers. And uh, in this as well, I look at the idea of peace. You know, the whole idea of peace is not just an absence of war or yes. an absence of trials and tribulations. Sarah learns on her journey, not just through the War of Independence, but also that peace is from within. It's something we have to kind of nourish and cultivate. And uh, she does that by uh, trying to trace information about her absent and errant father and her mother who died when she was a baby because she was reared by a very tight-lipped granny. And so we have two stories in parallel, the actual war of independence, the war of independence and this personal story as well taking place. And there's a pregnancy in this. And may I say, there's a pregnancy in the other one as well, when silence hearts. So, you you know, you have a new life on the way in both of these and you weave them into the stories. Let me move on to when silence hearts, because it brings us up into the 50s. And uh, this fellow, uh, could I call him a street angel and a house devil, as my mother used to say? That's uh, Kevin Moore. on the head, Jerry. Yeah, Kevin Moore <laughs> is his name. He's a vet, isn't he? He's a vet. And he's silver-tongued, and all the people in the surrounding area love him because he's particularly good, gifted with animals, one could say, and he has the gift of the gab. Now, uh, his wife, Evelyn, works for um, a local writer. She's an American writer living in Ireland in the 50s, and the people in the parish, it's called um, Red Mills, fictional, of course, uh, are quite jealous of her because they see her as having it all and they see her as having, be, as, as sort of uh, getting, being lucky enough to get this gorgeous husband. But in reality, uh, he abuses her in uh, physically, sexually and psychologically. And the novel follows her journey to try and see, will she escape before the worst happens. And we have to remember that in the period of 1958, there was no statutory or indeed voluntary help for abused women. Mm. And so she had to go very much alone. But during that time of the novel, she finds friendship in unexpected places and indeed romance. And a I don't want to give away the no, plot. Yeah. Don't do that. I'm well used to being warned about that by Margaret Madden, my book, book reviewer. But I will <laughs> I will tell listeners, she meets this man, Robert, and uh, she falls in love with him. And then she becomes pregnant. But the question is, who is the dad? Is it the uh, evil and shocking Kevin, uh, the husband, or Robert, her lover? You'll have to get the book to find out how this one pans out. But, uh, you know, when you talk about that time, late 50s, a pregnancy, you know, and a question mark over it. My God, it was a, a fierce situation to find yourself in. It was. And you see, 
uh, tie that in in general with the status of women and yeah. indeed I brought both novels but particularly in that novel I brought out the idea that women were subjected not just within marriage to sexual assault but outside marriage mm. and just in, in, in their everyday lives and if you saw the a lot of your listeners will have seen it in the Irish Times about two weeks ago an article called He Raped Me I Told No One yes. and this was in response to um, the revelation by our own Minister for Special Education, Josepha Madikin, that she herself in recent years has been sexually assaulted. A very brave lady to come out and say that. But in response to that, something like 40 readers emailed into the Irish Times and confirmed that this is still going on in, in subtle and covert ways. Like mm. So that the, this topic is not something that belongs in the past, in the time frame of that novel. It's still alive and with us, sadly, you know. It certainly is. You develop the characters, may I say, brilliantly, and you uh, tag us along in both books with the plot as well, right to the uh, end of your of your writing. You, you've a real talent, may I say. And, oh, thank uh, you, Jerry. You know you have, and uh, it's been under the bushel for a while, but it's certainly out in the open now with these two books. Where are these books available, Anne? Well, Jerry, they're available there in County Loud in Waterstones in Drogheda. Yep. And if you're from County Mead, they're available in Antonia's in Trim oh, yeah. and indeed here in my own parish in Swan's Shop. But they're also available right around the country in independent bookshops and, of course, online as well. Yes, they are online. And remember the name Anne Frehel uh, is the author of the book. Uh, the first one is called Reapers of Justice and the other one went Silence Hearts. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of work has gone into these starting you know 2019 with the first one through the lockdown as well are you underway with more I am. I, I'm uh, planning another one. It yes. will be post-Cromwellian at the moment, and I'm researching it. I love history, Jerry. I live, breathe, eat and sleep history, and uh, I'm immersed now in medieval history at the moment. <laughs> well, keep immersing yourself and keep doing what you're doing, because these books, you know, as I said, they're gaining traction all the time, and people are really loving the man. They really are. Thank and, you. Uh, it's taking you time, but it's been worth waiting for. Uh, Sunday, Miss Eleni, I mentioned at the start there, you have contributed in the past it's a timeless program isn't it it's a beautiful program yeah. yes and uh, yeah there are some wonderful pieces on it but uh, of course uh, Ireland is a great country as we know for writers and artists and craftspeople, yes. and it's a tradition we have to foster and support and keep going and indeed your good self does that all the time Jerry. Ah thank you so much kind words but I remember it you know why I'm fond of it I can remember as a little boy eating breakfast on a Sunday morning with my dad before we took our greyhounds for their walk and we sat the two of us and that's why I've been listening to that programme for such a long time now and it brings back fond memories and a smile to my face I think of my dad as we sat there having breakfast in our own home all those years ago but look Anne you have you have a furtive mind obviously you have a a well of uh, information on your hands as well and in wonderful County Meath where you have so much going for you as well look I'm delighted to talk to you today you're one of our own congratulations on the books and we look forward to the next one thank you so much jerry and uh, indeed i hope i hope next year it should be published yes and you'll be back with me then of course i hope so jerry and 
Thank you once again. Not at all. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining me. And that's uh, the lovely Anne Frehl from County Mead. I'll mention the titles again. You hear there, they're widely, widely available. She's done a great job, this woman with these books. When Silence Hurts by Anne Frehl or Reapers of Justice. Take your pick. One, going back to the uh, beginning of the 20th century. And the second one, When Silence Hurts there. 1950s Ireland as well. They're on the money as well, even at this time, as Anne mentioned. You would late lunch on LMFM Radio. Still to come this afternoon. Yes, the Beatles are my artists of the week. Could uh, keep them going for the whole year with the boys. Uh, we'll hear more about them and have a song for you. And we're also uh, going to talk to Damien Smith. He's familiar with, you heard it on our news there, Finn, the bottlenose dolphin. He's been injured in Carlingford Lock. It's not right. We're going to hear more about it after three o'clock. But in the meantime, there's bills to be paid here. Back in a moment. Yeah, King, years and years. Wouldn't that just make you want to trip the light? Fantastic. Oh, it really would. It's a real disco song, isn't it? Thanks for all your comments. And uh, lots of people want to go and see Mike Denver. I'll tell you who's getting the ticket for the car shortly. Um, absolutely beautiful song, says Eamon in Dunlear. Uh, what a future that girl has ahead of her. That's Ruby Moss. Number one in the U- iTunes singer-songwriter charts today. And it's only released. Well done to her. Uh, Jer McCullough's been on to us to say listen to this on the certs three of us uh, got the vaccination in the house Uh, one got it on the 10th of June 10th of June from the GP still hasn't got the cert second got it from the pharmacy in Dundalk on 22nd of June no cert third person 16th of July and got our cert on the 20th of July beats me the system says Ger another listener saying in yesterday's paper it stated that people who did not have the digital cert can use their HSE vaccination card for indoor dining there you are that's according to a listener in the paper yesterday Louise I've fallen out of love Louise with with with. (laughs) Countdown. Uh, you know, I'm a big heat stroke. I'm a big Countdown fan. Yeah. Now I haven't watched it recently. I actually watched it once since Nick Hewer left. Oh yeah, he's great. He's gone, as mm-hmm. we 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 spoke about here. And Anne Robinson has taken the job. And you haven't watched it since Anne Robinson's been. I won't be watching it on either. The hot Why? She's brutal. Honest to God. She's the wrong fit for the show altogether. She's the wrong fit, the totally wrong fit. And uh, look, the first woman to present it, what about it? It'd be a, If it was a man, I'd say the same thing if they didn't fit. I'm not being sexist here at all. I'm just saying she's totally the wrong fit for Countdown. I mean that. But you're not still watching for the girl with the numbers. Nah. The host is very important, regardless of Rachel Riley and what's the other one? Susie, Susie Dent. Rachel and Susie are great. And I love Rachel. Of course, I tell you, I love Carol Vorderman before as well. Uh, but the host is so important of the show, really. They're a team. They're a great team. Rachel Riley, Susie Dent and Nick Cure and before him, the other presenters were always a fairly good fit. I don't know why they didn't give the show, to be honest to you, to Colin, the lad from Northern Ireland. His name escapes me. He does sport and he he, he jumped in for Nick during the COVID and that. And he was just great. He had what, younger fella, he had what it took as well for the show. Channel 4, you've made a big mistake, (laughs) a massive mistake. Sorry, Miss Robinson. So no more recording it. And watching it later. I'm not interested in it anymore. Honestly, now. I just feel like that about it. She's not the right fit. She doesn't cut the mustard with it. What was the show she presented beforehand? And she used to say, Oh, yeah. You are the weakest link, Miss Robinson. (laughs) 
Goodbye. You are the weakest link. Goodbye, Miss Robinson. Soon, please. Channel 4, you've got to make the change. It's not working. It's just not working. I'm sorry to say. I've followed Countdown since it began all those years ago when I was in short pants. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, now, I'm now disaffected. One of your disaffected viewers, even on the recording later in the day. She has to go. Sorry. Sorry, and I'm nothing against you. You were fantastic on The Weakest Link. You don't cut the mustard on Countdown. Sorry to say still it. think of heat stroke. No, I haven't. <laughs> Excuse me. We'll see. I'm a little bit tanned all right from last week and a little bit red here and there and my legs never saw the sun for years last week. But anyway, anyone else got a view on Countdown? Anyone? Come on. I know there's lots of people out there listening day watching. Do you agree or disagree with me? 086-1800-658. Let me know. Finn the Dolphin, the Beatles, coming up after three. Thank you for all your comments to the show. Colin Murray was the guy I was trying to think of. Colin Murray should be presenting Countdown on Channel 4. He was brilliant when he stood in uh, for Nick Hewer. And you agree with me, my uh, contention, that Anne Robinson is not the fit for Countdown. Paula says she's awful, Jerry, and this could spell the end for Countdown. Eamon's been in touch. Yes, Jerry, she is the weakest link. Mary, she's not fit for the job, Jerry, for sure. She looks like a waxwork. She does too, I have to say. Jerry, I agree with you. She's not my cup of tea at all and she doesn't interact well with the girls on the show and so on and so on. They go watch this space. I hope they don't end it. They'll have to make a change. They really, really will. Now, uh, my artists of the week are the Beatles and continuing their story, in my words, the Beatles released their first album, Please Please Me, in March 1963, which went to number one. Listen to this. The first of 11 consecutive albums to top the album charts in the UK consecutively. The song I played yesterday, From Me To You, from that same album, was a number one single, followed by 16 more successive chart-topping tunes. Weren't they just phenomenal? She Loves You was the fastest selling record in the UK ever at that time, becoming a million seller in weeks and was the biggest selling record from its release in 1964, listen to this, until it was surpassed when? In 1978. It took all that time. They held the record, the Beatles. They toured the UK and Europe to delirious audiences. However, the Beatles phenomenon hadn't quite reached the United States until DJ Carol James on WWDC radio station in Washington got his hands on a copy of I Want to Hold Your Hand in mid-December 1963. He started playing it. And really, it forced the hand of Capitol Records to release it earlier than they'd planned. And they released it on St. Stephen's Day, 1963. It went to number one in the US by mid-January, another instantaneous million seller. And the perfect lead into the Beatles' first US tour. The Fab Four departed Heathrow Airport on the 7th of February 1964. Imagine this. There were 4,000 screaming fans at Heathrow crying that they were going to the United States, but wishing them well, of course. And they arrived at JFK in New York and they estimate there was four to 5,000 there to welcome them, going absolutely ecstatic at their arrival on US soil. Again, as happened back home, the Beatles and their music underpinned revolutionary social change throughout the 60s in the USA. So today, let's have a listen to another Beatles classic. Yes, that second UK number one from 1963. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Beatles She Loves You My Artist of the Week on Late Lunch this week I love their music I just love it They're short snappy tunes but they're so so enjoyable Plot that on in a disco any night of the week and the place will go haywire for sure You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio More for the Beatles in music and words at this time on Late Lunch Right about the same time tomorrow afternoon Just to let you know yes thank you to you all who sent us in uh, Galway yes that's where Mike Denver was born and the ticket for the car to the concert in the Knicks this Friday is going to Lorraine Weldon this afternoon. Well done to you. We'll be in touch to make the arrangements. Short break, final break of the day on the show and afterwards we're going to hear about Finn the Dolphin. Yes, he's a bottlenosed dolphin, been based in Carlingford for some time. He's a tourist attraction but the poor devil has got a belt of something. We're going to hear about it next. have to admit it was my cousin John Kelly brought this fella to my attention some time ago. Yes, Finn the bottlenosed dolphin in Carlingford. John and his crew are down there diving most weekends and they've struck up a, a relationship with this fella. Damien Smith is a diver and amateur photographer and he joins me on the line. Hello Damien. Hello Jerry. how are you? I'm good, thanks for taking our call today. Will you t- just remind our listeners first, how long is Finn there? He first appeared around June or July last year. Okay, so... known sightings of him. Right. And John Kelly, as you mentioned, was diving with a group of students in July and uh, rang me or well, came around to the house and uh, later that evening very excited to say that a dolphin had come over to the students twice on a Saturday and a Sunday. Um, first time that's kind of happened for him and for me in fairness so the following week myself and John went in on the Saturday and lo and behold Finn arrived over for a fairly <laughs> brief interaction <laughs> and he's been coming to you since you're friends now yeah nine times out of ten we go down he'll come over and he'll uh, interact with us and tell us this is he in a particular spot in the lock or where, where do you come across him we generally go in at Green Hour beside the Coast Guard station there, um, just just alongside the slipway. Um, we go in, the seabed drops off about four metres and then comes to a ledge and drops down to 12 to 20 metres. And once we hit the 12 metres mark or so, he generally comes over. OK, and uh, Owl's been good. I say Fungi is gone, uh, but Finn has taken his place in the northeast here. Now, we're, we're alarmed. Everybody is. Uh, in recent times, you've noticed a, a mark in him. Yeah, he's been scared. Uh, I haven't had any interaction with wild dolphins in the water before, so any dolphins I've seen has been from the back of a boat, so you don't get to study them that up close. But we've noticed Finn is very scared uh, along his flanks and his nose and his forehead. Um, but it, it seems that there's a brand new one, a fairly deep-looking one now on, on his right flank that looks like it could be from either the keel of a boat or a jet ski. It doesn't look like a propeller injury because that would be more gaseous yes. uh, in straight line. So it's definitely as if he's, something struck him across the back. Um, and the last few times we've been down at Greenore, there has been um, an increase in the number of jet skis and boats in and around the area. Now, unfortunately, you don't need a license in Ireland to drive either a pleasure craft or a jet ski on the Irish coast. So anybody can hop in. And what we would ask is just for people to have a bit more responsibility and a bit more common sense in and around the dolphin. They are a protected species in Irish waters, um, you're supposed to stay up to 100 metres away from them. Now, if the dolphin comes over to you, that's all well and good. But unfortunately, a lot of people seem to be chasing them down and 
mm. rushing over the seam in their excitement. Yes, and the, as you say, the speed of the vessel, be it a boat or a jet ski, are causing these serious marks on the dolphin. Stay there a second. Liz Sanderman from the Marine Connection in the UK, who monitors dolphins, is on to me. She knows all about Finn and your concern, Liz. Oh, good afternoon. Um, yes, no, I mean, definitely. I mean, I've been monitoring Finn now since he basically appeared in the area. Um, and obviously the latest um, photos of his, his injuries are of huge concern. I've personally studied um, solitary dolphins for the last 20, 25 years. And Finn is definitely going down the route of injury. He's now very habituated um, and we have actually, I mean, over the past couple of years, we've actually lost um, at least four solitary um, dolphins. Um, and I think, you know, it would be a disaster for Finn to end up being fatally injured or worse. And and I think, you know, um, the area is really fortunate to have basically its own resident dolphin. And I'm really urging the public to keep the distance. I totally understand why people get excited seeing dolphins. I still get excited seeing dolphins, but they need to keep their distance. Um, it's absolutely vital to Finn's future survival. And it's not being a killjoy, it's just a fact. Yes, and I uh, concur with everything you say and support everything both of you say and ask people to please have respect for these creatures. It is a solitary dolphin, he's the one there, he's on his own and they are curious creatures of course, Liz, but uh, he can't stand much more uh, having heard uh, a moment ago what Damien said to us, this latest uh, severe gash in his, in, on his body. No, absolutely. And, and, and as I say, I mean, you know, he, he is a, a protective species. And um, as I say, you know, I, we really just need to protect him. And also, um, I mean, I saw a photo just the other day where Finn was at a yellow boy. Um, and solitary dolphins are known to actually rest at, at boys. Um, and there was a, a rib very close to the actual dolphin. So my concern also is from a welfare point of view for the dolphin, uh, because if his, he's, he's not resting, and also if he's in, a, he's in a, an area feeding, and then he's also disturbed by boats, then he's obviously not getting enough calories. And that is a huge concern. I mean, if he's not feeding properly, um, you know, it really compromises his health. Mm. And we have to remind people that Fungi in Kerry was a, a treasure. And this is a treasure we have off the coast of County Louth as well. And they looked after that dolphin down there. We need the same care and respect at this uh, uh, neck of the woods. Just, Damien, back to you for a second. Just again, will you tell our listeners and tell people listening today, again, pinpoint primarily where he is so people, please God, they'll take notice of what we're saying today. In Green Hour, beside the Coast Guard Station Slipway, is where we come across him all the time. So it's a grand dive site for us. We just walk in off the beach, and he comes over. Um, dolphins can swim up to 20 kilometres an hour, so there's no chance of us actually chasing after him. If he doesn't want to come over to us, uh, he doesn't come over to us. You know, So if we're in, and he comes over and interacts, happy days. But there's no way that we could actually hunt him down, mm. which is not the same uh, for guys on jet skis and boats who can actually chase him and follow him um, at, at their leisure. Uh, if they want to. So we just ask people to have a bit of common sense. If you do see the dolphin in the water, stop about 100 metres away, observe him and enjoy him for what he is, but don't go chasing him down and hunting him.
No, this is a special creature and that's an important message and I hope it's heeded. You know, I, uh, the whole issue of uh, uh, licensing and jet skis and uh, craft on the water is a subject for another day, of course, and I, I've experienced them on freshwater inland myself uh, where uh, actually legislation has been brought in to stop them, you know, uh, especially jet yeah. skis using certain waterways. Uh, you're not asking for them, are you, Damien, to be banned totally? Not at all, no. no. So people should enjoy the water. They yes. As much right as everybody else to be on the water. So just a bit of common sense and a bit of cup on, basically. If they see other people in the water, it's also a hazard for us divers as, as you're coming out into the shallows. And some of the jet skis are going up and down yes. pretty close to the beach. Yeah. Um, you know, people don't really swim there because of the strong currents. Yes. But uh, they can be a hazard that way. Just yes. Cup, cup on. on, respect. This fella is respect precious. Folks, I have to leave it there today. Liz, thank you for taking our call and a big thank you to you too, Damien Smith. And let's no hope problem. your uh, appeals are heeded. Thank you for joining me on the show. That's a lot on late lunch this afternoon. Finn the Dolphin, we've got to mind them, haven't we? Yes, we do. Now, coming up on late lunch tomorrow afternoon, well, I just flick a page here, I don't know who's coming up. Professor John Sweeney, the brilliant John Sweeney, is with us all about the environment. Rachel Graham and Helen Martin combine their expertise and they'll be talking about uh, making your way through the menopause, ladies. Sinead Kelly is here with veterinary advice and more besides. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. Have a lovely evening. Thank you for your company today. See you tomorrow, one thirty. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the Northeast with same-day business finance, so let our van specialist, Danny, find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. See blackstonemotors.ie. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 